like, oh, hello. Um, got really excited there all of a sudden. Uh, Friday, we had like a countdown. I think it was like 5.45 on Friday afternoon. Anybody else had a countdown? And it like turned spring and I could not be happier, which is why I'm wearing bright green today. And I see some of you are wearing bright colors. I just am like over winter this year. And anybody with me? Okay, six people who are bold enough to say it. Um, anyway, I am over it. And I'm just so happy that spring is here. It's like one of my favorite seasons, but I also say that in every season. I'm like, this is my favorite. Um, but truly, like, I feel like Buddy the Elf when I said that. Um, truly, this is, is my, I think, one of my favorite seasons uh, of the four. Um, I have four favorites, and this is one of them. So anyway, here we are. Um, Easter, two weeks away. What's the deal with that? Um, snuck up on you, didn't it? Snuck up on me too. I'm really excited about Easter here at ICC, and I know that you're excited too. I pray that you will make plans to be here and worship with us. It's going to be a great day. It's one of just the greatest days of the year in the life in our lives as believers and in your life if you are in Christ. And I just pray you're excited to come and worship uh, with us. I also hope that you're intentionally thinking about those who, who need an invitation to Easter, and I just encourage you to, to keep... Uh, praying for those who you know, maybe they're your neighbors or your classmates or your coworkers or just somebody in your family or your friend group who you know uh, is probably not going to be anywhere unless they're going to be invited. And you have the opportunity to, to intentionally reach out to them and say, hey, wh- what are you going to do for Easter? Why don't you come with me? And maybe you can invite them to lunch afterwards or something. And then we provided these cards. We want you to take these with you. Maybe you can use this as a help after you invite somebody just to give it to them and remind them, put it on your fridge help remind you about uh, that opportunity. I also want to point your attention to this other card in your seat and just remind you that in these weeks, uh, this is one of the greatest opportunities for us as believers to prepare our hearts for the risen Lord Jesus. And what I have done is uh, taken on uh, responsibility to, to write a, well, I've picked out a scripture a day uh, for these weeks leading up to Easter. This is week three, and that's the card in your chair. And what it is, is it's a scripture passage that I encourage you to go to every day. They're all related to the, to the theme of our sermons each week in this series. And then also I've written a prayer there. It's, it's nothing magical about that particular prayer. It's just a way, especially for those who maybe are looking for a, a first step into time with the Lord and time in the word. It's just a way that you can take the word of God and just turn it back around and pray to God. Thanks and, and ask God for the things that he's saying to us in his word. And I pray that you'll use those. They'll be an encouragement and help to you in this season as we draw near to God. Let me pray for us as we get started in the word today. God, we thank you for this day of worship. And Lord, worship is not about what we do for you. It's about what you have done for us. And Lord, all we do is just come in to say thank you. We come in to just praise you. We come in to just lay our hearts and our lives before you once again because of your goodness and your greatness and your power. And and our life is from you, God. It's for you. And Lord, it just doesn't make sense without you. And Lord, we thank you this morning for the gospel. We thank you for the good news that for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, we thank you today for your perfect work and your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray today for every person who is here that they would know that you are God, you are alive, and you created us. And Lord, you created us that we might know you. 
And I pray for every person here that we might know this morning that you love us. You know us and you love us. So much that you gave everything for us that we might have what was needed to come back to you. So Lord, would you grow our faith? Would you help us to encounter you today? Lord, would you give us yourself? Would we know you today, God, and be surrendered to you? This is the purpose for our life. We thank you for this day, a day just to be with you. And Lord, we pray for that now in Jesus' name. Well, we are in the middle of a series, Encounter the Living Jesus. And I won't take a lot of time to set it up again, but what we know is that the most important thing about this particular season, and in fact, the most important thing about your life and mind, is the gospel. It is our relationship with God. And in this season, we celebrate what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I've been drawing your attention to this again and again. And I hope that you keep, if you haven't written this down already, that you write it down somewhere and seek to memorize this. Because Paul says he passed on to us that which is most important, that Christ Jesus died for our sin in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. And three days later, he rose to new life in accordance with the scriptures. We celebrate the fact that God gave his son, Jesus, to take on our sin. That we wouldn't have to bear the consequences of our sin and the wrath of our sin. That Jesus took it on in accordance with the scriptures. He fulfilled the promise of God. He took it on himself on the cross. He was put to death. He put an end to it. He was buried. And then three days later, he rose again to new life. And he lives today, and he wants to live in you. That is the gospel that we celebrate, and it's good news. And, and, and so me and my pastor heart, I'm just sitting here week after week, and I'm up here just pouring my heart out, because here's what I want, is I want you to not just go, okay, yeah, I know that, but I want you to feel it down to your tinkle toes. I want you to, to just be so enamored with this and in love with this and amazed by this, by this that God gave everything that you might have life in him. And I want it to just come alive in your heart and in your life that you might feel in everything that you are, feel the wonder of our God, the eternal, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-wonderful, perfect God coming to you in love and giving, giving himself for you giving himself for you when you didn't deserve it, giving himself for you that you might have life. But not just that, that he rose again and he lives today. He's alive and he comes to you and he wants to give you life. That is what we celebrate. Amen. And that's what I've been trying to make alive each week. Now, here's the thing. So the the perspective that we're taking in this series, I'm already excited. (laughs) I need to calm myself down. Um, The perspective that we're taking in this series is that I wanted to introduce you the way, the, the way that we're approaching Easter this year, the, I wanted to introduce you to the living Jesus to help you see that he's alive. And because he's alive, everything changes. And the way I wanted to do that this year was to go through the gospels and introduce you to five people who met the living Jesus after he rose again from the dead. Five people that he came to face to face. And I want you to see the interaction. I wanted you to see their life. And I want you to see his life. And I want you to realize that you are them. And he is still Jesus, alive from the dead. And those encounters still happen today. And when you encounter the living Jesus, I want to tell you this. 
everything changes. No one meets the living Jesus without changing. And I guarantee you, if you don't have a testimony of life, of heart and life change, then I'm telling you, I wonder, have you met the living Jesus? So week after week, I just want to show you that he's alive. And because he's alive, everything changes. So we have spent three weeks. We've been in John chapter 20 for the most part. And we saw how Jesus encountered Mary. And last week we were in John 20 again. And we saw how Jesus encountered Thomas. And if you missed those weeks, well, I'm really sorry. You missed a lot. You go back and listen online. But today... We're going to be in John chapter 21. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you go ahead and get it out or your smartphone, as long as you're not checking b- basketball scores, I'll let you do it. Um, it's, it's an honor code here, so you just gotta, just got to be true to your word. You just made a commitment, okay? If you pull your phone out, it's only for the Bible. All right, John chapter 21 in the Bible. And today, I want to introduce you to another individual who met the living Jesus. Many of you may be familiar with him, but I believe today there's going to be power in looking at his story, and God's going to do so much through his word. Today we're going to meet Peter. We're going to meet Peter. And I want to go ahead and give you the, the core truth, or as I, in theological terms, we would call it the resurrection doctrine, all right, from this passage. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you so you can write it down, and then we're going to get into the story. But here it is. Here's the theme of the day. Jesus' resurrection ensures our restoration to God. And frees us from slavery to sin. Because Jesus is alive, we can be sure that we can be restored in our relationship with God. And free of slavery to sin. Let me say it one more time. For those who are still writing, those who want to let it sink in beyond your head and do your heart. Jesus' resurrection ensures our restoration to God and frees us from slavery to sin. John chapter 21. What we know is, if, you, if you're a student of the word, um, and I know that many of you are, are that's, that describes you. You want to be a student of the Bible, and I pray you do. Uh, John chapter 20 is actually the climax of the gospel of John. That, that interaction that we looked at last week where Jesus meets Peter and confronts his doubt, and Peter proclaims faith in the Lord. And he, it, it, John closes that chapter and said, you know what? So many other things happen. If I had, if I, if I had wrote them all down, no library in the world could contain everything that, that describes Jesus and what he's done. But I picked these things out that you might believe in the Son of God and may have life in his name. That's how John chapter 20 ends. And it is a climax of the book. It's the climax of the book. And you just wonder, well, why doesn't the book end there? <laughs> um, well, if, if any of you guys read novels, anybody like novels or good stories. Okay, a few of us. Uh, what do you guys read? Magazines, Facebook? Um, you got to get back into novels. Novels are good. Anyway, sometimes you know that books come to a climax, but then there's some stuff that's left to clean up at the end. And so sometimes they'll, they'll do like a little epilogue or they'll do something at the end that will help you just to kind of resolve any unresolved issues in, in the book. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, John takes this approach with chapter 21. There is, a, there is a major unresolved issue. And John takes the, the chapter 21 to kind of clean up, to kind of finish the story. And the main thing that's unresolved is Peter. And we're going to be looking at that today. But there is, there is a cliffhanger here as to Peter 
and what is going to happen to him. It just seems unresolved. So if we, I'm going to move this table to the other side. And if we'll start in verse 1. Here we see this, John chapter 21. It says, after this, now again, this is coming right after the heels of Jesus' encounter with Thomas. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Now, we don't know how long it has been, but it's been some time. We know that Jesus resurrected on Easter Sunday. A week later, eight days later, he appeared to Thomas. We looked at that encounter last week. And now it's saying after that, here he comes again. Now, from verse 14, which we'll get to later, we know, John tells us, this is the third time that Jesus appears to his disciples. So if you're counting, this is number not one, not two, but the third time that Jesus comes to a group of his disciples. And it's some time after he's already appeared to Thomas. And he's coming here by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. And it says he revealed himself in this way. Now here's what we know. There's a couple of guys here, all right? So you can just imagine out by what would seem like a, a really big lake, like Lake Pickwick, right? Anybody ever been down there? Or the, your, pick your favorite lake? Hey, Patrick, you're from Pickwick. You love that place. Um, let's just say the Pickwick of, Jeru- uh, of Israel. That's where we are right now, okay? <laughs> now you're tracking with me. I got one person at least listening. All right. So we're down at the Pickwick of, Jeruz- of Israel. And there's a couple of guys there. Simon Peter, Thomas. It's interesting here. Simon Peter is going to be the key to this whole story. He's listed first. He's the central character. It's why this chapter is written. Simon Peter. Then with him, Thomas, called the twin. Right? We looked at him last week. Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee. Who are those? James and John. And then we have two others. We don't know who they are. But they're named. And it says there's two others who are out there. And then in verse... Three, we see this. Simon Peter, all of a sudden, says, I'm going fishing. Hey, boys, I'm going fishing. Now, I just want to stop here. Because what's going to be important to this story is you understanding where Peter is. Now, what do you know about Peter? <laughs> what do you know about him? From the very earliest appearance in the Gospels, what was Peter's trade before he became a disciple? He was a fisherman, right? He was a good old, gnarly, like, a lot of hair on his chest kind of guy. He, what I meant is like rough and tough. (laughs) I equate that with hair on the chest. Um, I don't know why, because I don't have much. I guess that means I'm not rough and tough, but some of you are not surprised by that. Um, (laughs) Don't laugh. Um, Peter is just a good old guy. He was a fisherman by trade. Actually, he's one of the very earliest people that Jesus called to follow him. He's one of the very earliest. He and his brother Andrew, Luke chapter 5, were front of some of the earliest people who were called to follow Jesus. And what we know is that if if you just track Peter through the Gospels, he is such an interesting character. He did leave behind Luke chapter 5 when Jesus encountered him. He left behind his trade to go and follow Jesus. He left everything. I mean, think about what you do currently, your occupation. What would it take for you to leave everything that you had 
to give up your vocation, to give up your salary, to give up maybe your house and just go and follow after Jesus. That's the call that Jesus had on Peter's life. And Peter left everything to follow him. Jesus said, I'm going to make you, Peter, a different kind of fisherman. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Y'all remember that? That's how Jesus started, I mean, how Peter started following Jesus. But in his life, man, this guy is, he is the most eager. He is so outspoken. He's the guy that in a group, he can just not stop talking. Anybody like that? Or maybe you're married to somebody like that. Just raise your hand. Oh, you're in trouble now. Um, uh, they are the, he's the one that just can't stop talking. If there's anybody going to talk first, it's usually going to be Peter. And usually, this is how Peter ends up, with his foot right in his mouth, right? He ends up in such a bad, a bad place. He ends up with his foot in his mouth so much. Um, sometimes Peter can be so eager and excited, he almost comes across as arrogant. He, he says things before he knows that he can do them. And he's so eager. And he just, I mean, he just trips all over himself sometimes. And those of us who have problems with just talking before we think, <laughs> that's Peter. And um, he, he's just like that. And he's zealous, though. He loves the Lord. He really does. But he just, he just is who he is, and he just goes after Jesus. He had a really special relationship with Jesus. If you think about his life, he was there. He was one of the few that was really close to Jesus all throughout his ministry. I mean, you think about Peter was there when people were getting healed. He was right there. Jesus turned to Peter again and again to reveal some of his his closest thoughts and feelings. He was there when the multitudes of people were fed with just a small loaves of bread and just a few fish. He was there that night on the boat. You remember in, in the gospel where he was, the storm came up and the disciples were scared for their life and there's this, they, they didn't know if they were going to make it out in the middle of the sea. And they saw a guy coming toward them and it was Jesus walking on the water. And Jesus said that it was Jesus and the disciples didn't know if they should believe him. And Jesus called out. I mean, Peter said, if you're, if you're Jesus, then tell me to come out and walk. And Jesus did. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water. Some of us think, how is that possible? But Things are possible with God that aren't possible with man. And Jesus and Peter was there to see these things in Jesus. Remember when Jesus pulled a few guys that he really liked up onto the mount? And and we call it the Mount of Transfiguration because there he Jesus showed them a glimpse of things to come. Do you remember that? Peter. Peter's there. Peter's right there with him. And sees the glory of Jesus. Peter had a special insight into Jesus. Remember, Jesus told this to Peter. He said, Peter, you're seeing things that other people don't see because Jesus said, who am I? And Peter cried out. Remember what he said? He said, you are the Christ. This is early in Jesus' ministry. Peter had an insight that Jesus was not any ordinary man. He was not any ordinary teacher. Jesus was the Christ, he said, the son of the living God. And you remember Peter, Jesus said to Peter that he was going to build his church through Peter. You remember that? On, on you, through you, Peter. I'm going to build my church. So Peter's, Peter's right there with Jesus. Left everything to follow Jesus. Eager, sometimes stupidly eager to follow Jesus. But he's right there. But the interesting thing is that as we approach this text in John chapter 21, something has just happened in Peter's life within the last few weeks that has changed, seemingly changed everything. Remember in the last week of Jesus' life, right before Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, 
to surrender his life to the Lord because he knows what's coming. He knows he's about to be taken and he's about to be crucified for our sin. You remember this? Luke chapter 22 records for us in verses 31 to 34. And if you've got something to write it down, I encourage you to write this down because I want you to go back here later and look at it yourself. But in verses 31 to 34, Peter, I mean, Jesus looks at Peter and he says to him, Satan, I mean, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And then in verse 34, he says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster is not going to crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Jesus looks at Peter, who's left everything to follow him, who's been so eagerly and right there with him, the most close of his trusted disciples and friends. And he says, Peter, Satan's demanded to have you. And this day, you're this day is not going to be over until you say, you deny me three times that you know me, Peter. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, that's crazy talk. I'm never going to deny you, Jesus. I would go to the death with you. He says that there in Luke 22. There's no way, Jesus. There's no way. I would never, I would never turn my back on you, Lord. I just, I love you. You know, I would, I, I would give my life before somebody touches your life, Jesus. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there with his disciples praying. Sweat, blood coming out because he's in such anguish because he knows the will of the Lord that has been appointed for him. He knows what is needed if we are to be saved. He's giving his soul over to the Lord and his body over for what the Lord had willed. And what we know is some guards, some army men, some Servants from the from the the high uh, from the from the governor's office come to the garden to arrest Jesus. We know they come looking for him. Where is Jesus? And here Jesus is, the most innocent of innocents, and the disciples are there, of course, with him in the garden. And they come to arrest him. And what's Peter do? Peter pulls out a sword. And he whacks at one of them, takes off his ear. His name was Malchus. You better not touch Jesus. Again, eager. Jesus stops Peter. He says, Peter, you're not going to stop me from what God has appointed for me in this hour. And he touches the man's ear and the man's ear is restored. And what happens is Jesus is taken away in chains. The one who had committed no crime, the one who had no sin is taken away like a criminal. He's taken to be put in a court to be tried for something that he did not do. And he would be convicted for that crime, the crime that he did not commit. And he wouldn't just be convicted, he would be condemned and condemned over to death. And what we know is that Peter trailed Jesus. He trailed Jesus that day. We know from John chapter 18, verses 15 to 18, that he trailed him to the high priest's house. 
where they were going to put him in court. And he stood outside in the distance. And one of the disciples had gotten in because he knew somebody in the high priest's house. And he arranged for, he, he, he said to a servant in the house, hey, hey girl, could, could you let that guy out there in? She goes out to let him in. And she says, come on, you've been invited in. And she looks at him and she says, aren't you, aren't you one of the, the disciples too? Peter. Oh, uh, no, no, I, I'm, I'm just here. I don't, I don't no, I'm not one of them. I just, I'm just here to observe what's going on. John chapter 18 goes on to record that Jesus gets inside the house and it's so cold that night, there's a fire. Servants of the high priest, as well as some of the guards are standing around the fire. And one of them says, hey, uh, hey, aren't you one of the guys that's been following Jesus? Peter, no, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't have anything to do with him. Then another servant comes up. This time it's a family member of Malchus who took, Peter took off his ear. And he says, weren't you in the garden with Jesus? Peter, once again, no, I wasn't there. I don't know what you're talking about. And Luke chapter 22, verse 16 says this. While he was saying this, the rooster crowed. And verse 61, perhaps the most stunning of moments in all of this, it says that at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus, who had called him out. Jesus, who had promised him life. Jesus, who had said, I want to build my church through you, Peter. Jesus, who had been nothing but faithful. Jesus, who had said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Third time, not one, not two, not three, Peter denies Jesus. In his very presence. I don't know the man. I don't have anything to do with him. No, I wasn't there. And at that moment, rooster crows, Peter in his sin, Peter in his shame, and the Lord looks him in the eye. And it says that Peter remembered at that moment what the Lord said to him that before the rooster crows today you will deny me three times and in verse 62 what happens it says that Peter went out this is Luke 22 Peter went out and wept bitterly you can imagine because you know Peter because you know yourself you can imagine Peter, not just in this moment, but in the weeks that were to follow, totally rejected, feeling like a total failure, totally let down with himself and disheartened, hating himself. I can't believe that this is who I've become. Beating himself up again and again and again. How did I do that? Is this me? 
the one who's been faithful to me again and again, the only one who has brought hope to my life, who has promised to me, I've been unfaithful to him. I've denied him. I've turned my back on him. Oh, I hate myself. One more time, I've screwed it up. Never going to change. I've screwed it up. It's gone. It's over. There's no more hope for me. How could I ever, how could he ever forgive me? How could I ever be restored? I mean, I didn't, to his face, I just turned my back on him and I said I didn't know him and I didn't have anything to do with him. How could he ever want me again? imagine that even as Jesus appeared two more times to the disciples, remember Jesus appeared in groups and you can imagine that even as Jesus is speaking to the group, peace be with you promising his Holy Spirit, explaining his purpose and his power that Peter doesn't think that Jesus may be talking to him You ever been in a group where you see the Lord working in other people, but you exclude yourself because you think there's no way the Lord would want to work like that in me? Nobody's here has done what I've done. Nobody here has fallen as far as I've fallen. Jesus is saying these things, but there's no way he's saying them to me. He looked me in the eyes. I remember I saw the look in his eyes. He knows what I've done. You can imagine where Peter was at this moment. It's over, he feels. Many of us get this because we've had falling out with other people. Anybody had that? Where you have something in your relationship with somebody else that's broken. A wrong, a sin, a, a major mess up. And there's a falling out of relationship. Anybody ever had that? And you feel the pain of it. You feel the distance of it. You feel the brokenness of it. You feel the the hurt of it. We get this because we are Peter. But more than this, friends, I hope today that you know what this feels like, not just with somebody else, but with your God. But because, because for Peter, Jesus was not just another friend, though he was. Jesus was God. Jesus was the only hope for Peter's life. Jesus was his God. And he had just turned his back on his God. He had turned his back on his Savior. He had turned his back on the source of his life. And this is the essence of sin, is it not? To want something more than you want God. Peter wanting protection for himself or approval of others more than he wanted faithfulness to God. Peter exchanging something for pureness of his relationship with God. Peter breaking relationship, rebelling against God, denying him. This is the essence of sin. And friends, your sin and mine, we are Peter. 
And I believe that you feel in your life, maybe at this moment that you feel a specific sin or something that you have gotten caught in, some habit of sin, of repetitiveness, repetitive rebelliousness against God, that you feel the weight of what Peter felt. We get this because we are Peter. So back to verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I can't prove to you why Peter's going fishing. Some people think he's going fishing because he's waiting on the Lord Jesus and he's trying to keep himself busy. But I look at the story and I look at the circumstances and I look at my own life. Let me tell you what I think about this. I think Peter's going fishing because he thinks he's a failure. And the only thing he has left to do is to go back to what he knows. He feels like he's so far from God that he's just given up and he's going back to what's comfortable, back to what's easy, back to what's familiar. He's not engaged in the things of the Lord or with the people of the Lord. He's just going back to the, because he's resigned himself because of his own sin, his own shame, his own failure. And the reason I think this, so he says, he says they said to him, we will go with you. So he's bringing others along with him. Here's another clue to why I think this. It says they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. <laughs> Here's another clue to why I think Peter got in that boat because he felt like he was far from God. Is that God allowed that night for him to catch absolutely nothing. What you know about fishermen, especially good fishermen, is they usually catch something, don't they? <laughs> for a fisherman to come back in and have caught nothing, it's kind of strange. Peter came in and he caught nothing. And doesn't it remind you of that scene in Luke chapter 5 of Peter before he met Jesus? He was out in the boat and what happened? He caught nothing. Do you think that it could be God's way of helping him feel the futility of his sin, the futility of being far from God, the vanity, the fruitlessness of living a life apart from God? John chapter 15, apart from me, Jesus said. Peter had heard it with his own ears. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. I think it's a clue. There he is out in the boat. And you get, I hope you're feeling now, some of where Peter is at this moment. Verse 4 in your Bible. Here's the turn. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. The resurrected Jesus, Jesus who had been crucified before their very eyes, had been put to death by their very sin, who went into the tomb that they saw, who has a stone rolled over it with guards outside for three days. This same Jesus now, resurrected Jesus. He's alive, standing on the shore. And it says the disciples didn't even know that it was him yet. They're out in the distance. Jesus said to them, he calls out, children, do you have any fish? You think he already knows? <laughs> I think he might. Usually when he asks those kind of questions like to Adam and Eve, hey, where are you? He already knows where they are. He's wanting you to be aware of where you are. Hmm? Hey, you got any fish? They answered him. No. He said to them, how about you cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, as a fisherman, I would think, you know, 
well, thanks a lot. We've been an hour all night, buddy. You're sitting there on the shore. Easy for you to say. We just tried that side of the boat, you know. But anyway, he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. You're going to find some. And it says they did what he said. They cast, cast it out. And when they did, they could not even pull the net back into the boat because of how many stinking fish were in the nets. <laughs> this is a good day for fishermen. But this is odd. This is unusual. This is remarkable. This is amazing. So they have been fishing all night. There's nothing in the boat. Now they just cast it on the other side by the word of this guy, and it's full. More fish than they could even pull in, and there's several guys here. It's not like they're weak. It's so overwhelming that verse 5 says this, or verse 7, excuse me. Next slide. Oh. Well, I've got to go to my Bible. It must not be on the slide. I must have skipped that in the PowerPoint. So if you go back to John, excuse me, I've got to turn here. John chapter 21. It says that there were so many fish that they couldn't even get them in. But then it says that in verse 7, the disciple who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. In other words, he's so overwhelmed at the moment of what's happening that he goes, this is not just an ordinary guy. He said, I've th- I, we've been here before. We've caught nothing. And he told us to get it on the other side. I know that guy's voice. It's the Lord. That's the Lord. And verse 8 says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. He had been in his work clothes. And he threw himself into the sea. <laughs> Isn't it like Peter? They're only 100 yards out. And he goes, I'm not waiting. I'm, like, I'm going in. He starts swimming, you know. And it says in verse 8 that the other disciples came in the boat. They were dragging the net full of fish. They were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. Fascinating. Verse 9, it continues. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. On the fire, there's fish laid out on it, and it says there's bread. And Jesus says to them, again, a group, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter Simon Peter. It's Simon Peter. <laughs> he's eager now. He's jumped in. Now he's going to, okay, okay. I'm going to go to get some fish. Get some fish. Jesus wants fish. He, he brings fish back. Jesus wants fish to cook. So he did. He hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153. Patrick, that's a good day on Pickwick, right? Great day. 153 stinking fish. Although there were so many, the net was not torn, which is another amazing thing. Verse 12. Jesus says to him, come, have breakfast. Now it says, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Can you just imagine the scene? They've, this is now the third time they've seen him. They're so sticking excited. They cannot even believe that he's back. It's the Lord. When I got home from Serbia a few weeks ago, I'd been gone for 15 days. And I, I showed up at the airport and Caroline was there with Michelle waiting on me. And I'd like to think that she's been wondering where I was for, for 15 days. And she doesn't know why she's at the airport. I don't even think she's probably aware that it's an airport and that's a place that dad could come back. But it was awesome. When I showed up, I start walking down the hallway in the corridor and you get a glimpse of her and she starts looking and she keeps looking and suddenly she starts realizing, could it be him? And this is me thinking this is what she's thinking. Could it be him? I think it's him. I've been waiting for 15 days for him. I can't believe that it's him. 
it's him. Oh, it's him. It's him. And I finally get to her and I wrap her up. And just for about five minutes, she didn't really do anything other than she just stared at me in the face. Like, I think it's him. Is it you, Peter? You know, like the movie, um, touching all over me. It's him. It's dad. He's here. And she was just so overwhelmed by my presence. I'd like to think that she was speechless. I think this is the way disciples were. They're just, they know it's him, but they're not, nobody's going to dare say, is it really him? They know it's him. They're just sitting in his presence. It's him. He's back. He's, he's here. In verse 14, the one I already alluded to, it says, now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now here's the moment in John chapter 21 that knocks my socks off. The reason the chapter was written for you and for me. It says that now Jesus is going to do something that's not in the group. He's going to do something that's for the individual. And in verse 15, we read this, that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, oh boy, don't you know that Simon was so wanting to talk to Jesus? Much like you after your sin and me after my sin, we feel the weight of our sin and our shame, but we long to be back in the Lord's presence. He was the first out of the boat. He was the first to serve. He was eager to do anything that Jesus wanted. He wanted to show some sign of reconciliation or restoration, but he just still probably kept himself back and made excuses and distanced himself. But now Jesus goes to Peter. He comes to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He goes on and he says a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says to him, Yes, Lord. Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He goes on and he says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says that Peter was grieved. You can imagine, oh, he doesn't believe me anymore. He doesn't trust me. I've failed I just want him to believe me. And he calls out to Jesus and he says, Lord, you know everything, Lord. You know, you know that I love you, Lord. I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18. He keeps going and he says, truly, truly, Peter, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another is going to dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Verse 19, John says, he says this because he wanted to show Peter what kind of death that he would have to glorify God. And then in verse 19 at the end, Jesus says, after he said these things, turn to Peter. And he said, once again, follow me. The rest of the chapter goes on to say that Peter 
once again, being Peter, he wants to know how John's going to die. Jesus said, it doesn't matter what I'm going to do with John. What matters is what I want to do with you. Are you going to follow me? And Peter did. And John's book concludes. Now the amazing thing about this encounter is that Jesus returns again to Peter. He asked him three times. Now, I don't know, I can't tell you for certain what Jesus is up to in asking Peter three times. But the last time that we saw Jesus and Peter together, what did we see? Jesus, I mean, Peter denying Jesus three times, didn't we? And here Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity three times to say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. The opportunity to cover sin. And Jesus is accepting his words each time, isn't he? And saying, Peter, I still have a purpose for you. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my flock. See, Jesus is not finished with Peter. Jesus is not finished with Peter. What we know if we go back to Luke 22 is that as Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Satan demands to sift you like wheat. But the finish, what Jesus didn't, I didn't read earlier, is that Jesus finished his saying and said this, but I have prayed for you, Peter. Peter, you're about to experience the greatest failure of your life. You're going to sin. You're going to turn against me. Satan wants to have you. He wants to take his claws around you and take you from me. Peter, you're going to be a broken mess. But I have prayed for you, Peter. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. What is Jesus saying? Yeah, you're going to sin. Yeah, Satan's going to mess around with you. Yes, you're not going to be perfectly faithful to me. But my power for you, Peter, my purpose for you, Peter, my love for you, Peter, my grace towards you, Peter, my purpose for you, Peter, is greater than your sin is greater than Satan. It's greater than your faults and your failures and your shame. I get the last word in your life, Peter, and my word is that I want you. I love you. You are loved by me. Your grace, my grace covers you, Peter. I have prayed for you. In other words, no one has the final say in your life other than me. Peter, Yeah, you failed. But I'm willing to forgive. Second Timothy 2 13. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Jesus knew when Peter called when he called Peter in Luke chapter 5. Listen to this. He knew all of Peter's life before him. 
and Jesus still called him. Jesus knew that Peter wouldn't have it all together. Jesus knew that he would sin. Jesus knew that he was going to deny him. Jesus knows all things, and yet Jesus still called him. And in this moment, Jesus is trying to teach Peter a lesson, and he's trying to teach you a lesson. He's trying to teach me a lesson. That it's not about what Peter could do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus could do for Peter. Amen? It's always been about that. It's not about you being perfect for God. It's about God and his willingness to do anything and everything that you might have a relationship with him. That is the hope of Peter's life. Jesus coming to Peter face to face. Saying, Peter, your sin doesn't have the final word. My grace does. But what we know is that Peter didn't believe Jesus when he said that earlier, did he? When you turn again, he didn't believe him because he didn't turn around to strengthen his brothers. He's back fishing. The last time Peter saw Jesus was on the cross and Jesus was dying. Peter had left him to die. Peter had promised, you're not going to die, I'm going to die. And yet Jesus is there dying. And he takes his last breath. But Peter feels like he's deserted the one, the only one who could give him life. Peter had a problem believing that Jesus could restore him. But friends, this is the glory of the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus' death doesn't have the last word. His resurrection does. Amen? That your sin, it doesn't close. The story doesn't close with your sin. It closes with the resurrected Jesus coming to you, even though you are a sinner and broken, and saying to you, I can restore you. I'm willing to restore you. I love you. Do you love me? His resurrection is the assurance. It's the hope that your failure does not have the last word, but God's victory does. That your sin does not have the last word, but God's forgiveness and grace does. That your denial does not have the last word, but God's acceptance does. That your brokenness does not have the last word, but God's restoration does. That your futility does not have the last word, God's purpose for you does the resurrection of Jesus coming back to Peter alive confronting him and saying Peter you love me follow me because of that Peter is forever changed he believed he received he was forgiven and he was freed. And the next time you see Peter is in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. And what's he doing? He's standing up in a crowd of thousands at the day of Pentecost and he says, come to Jesus. He's preaching the gospel. Come to Jesus. The man who had gone back to fishing, now restored into a relationship with God. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sins and come to him. There's forgiveness. There's new life. I've met him face to face. He's changed me. Sin does not have the last word. God's grace does. Will you receive him? Will you believe him? Will you give your life to him? It's not about what you can do for Jesus. It's about what he has done for you in his life, death, resurrection from the grave. He is able and he is faithful. Though we are faithless, he is faithful. Amen. Peter's life was changed. And I want to ask you today, friends, what about yours? 
I believe that we are all Peters today in this room. We are all Peters. And in some way, you feel the weight of your sin, the weight of your brokenness, and the weight of your shame. You feel the weight of the Lord looking you in the eyes in the place of your greatest desperation and need. And you might feel today, there is no way possible. There's no way that the Lord would ever want me back. There's no way that he could restore my life to the way that it could be back at the beginning. I'm just stuck with a new way of living because of all of that in the past. But let me tell you today, friend, that your past does not dictate your future. God's grace does. And he is willing and he is able. And today I believe because he is alive from the dead that he comes to you today just like he came to Peter and he looks at you and he says, I want to talk. I know your sin and I know your shame, but do you love me? Do you love me? And you say, oh, I love you, Lord. There's no one else that I want but you, Lord. And he looks at you and he says, I love you too. Let, let it go. Surrender it all. Come. Come and follow me. Will you believe him? Will you receive it? His grace is overwhelming. It's the song of my life. His life gives me life. And he can give you life too. And I pray that the rest of our stories reflect the awesome power and grace of God at work in us and not ourselves. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the story of Peter today. And Lord, we know that we are Peter. And you are Jesus. You are the same today as you were that day when you came to Peter. And Jesus, you are alive today by your spirit and by your living word. You are standing in front of us today. You come to us You know us, Lord, you know us. You know our sin, you know our shame, you know our failures, you know our brokenness, you know our need. Lord, it's hard for us to understand and to accept that we could be so loved by you and received by you again. We tend to want to exclude ourselves and just to run far away because we just feel like we've let you down and we have. And we deserve to be far from you. We deserve to take death that we deserve. But Lord, this is why you came. I pray that you would speak to us today. This is why I came for you. This is why I came to live the life that you didn't live. To die the death that you deserve. To take on your sin. To take on your shame. To triumph over Satan. I went to the grave to put your old life away and I rose again so that sin would not have the last word in your life, that brokenness would not have the last word, that shame when Satan would not have the last word. I have the last word and I have chosen to love you. I love you. My grace is available to you. I want to forgive you and restore you. Will you just believe me? Will you receive from me? lay it all down and follow me. Just love me. Love me with your life. It's not about what you can do. It's about what I can do. I just pray this morning that you would give your life to Jesus. For the first time maybe, for the second time, for the 50th time, or the thousandth time, that you would just again say, Lord Jesus, help me to believe. I give everything. 
follow you. He loves you.